Father, um, Lord, I, first I want to start and, and thank you for the gathering midtown. I thank you that Pastor Matt is getting into the pulpit there um, as we pray right now. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through your word to your people, Lord, our brothers and sisters there. And I thank you for the beautiful uh, picture of these two churches together in one mission. And Father, I, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to rescue us. I thank you that through the Holy Spirit, you illuminate our hearts to the scriptures. You lead us into truth. And Father, I thank you that you're good and that you care about us and that you love us. Lord, move me out of the way. We want to hear from you. Amen. So, um, raise your hand if you're not on Facebook. Okay, so, here's the deal. Here's what you need to know about yourself. You are the salt of the earth, okay? (laughs) The rest of us are severely under-sanctified because we just scroll and scroll and scroll when we should be praying and evangelizing, but we just keep scrolling, right? So since most of us are severely under-sanctified, you've seen this phenomenon on Facebook that is getting your underpants in a twist. There's there's another way of saying it, but it may may offend somebody, and I don't want to offend anybody, okay? So there's this phenomenon where, where not any of us, right? It's just the people that have friended us that are our high school acquaintances. They post about stuff that just really gets under their skin. You've seen it, right? Look at this one. This is something that kind of made the rounds in the panhandle of our great state. So there, there's an Arabic term. Yep, you're reading that right. Um, for a sandstorm called a haboob, okay? And this, this um, newscast, or what do you call them? News... Um, Weather person on TV. Weather person, whatever. Yeah. One of them, they get on TV in the panhandle in Lubbock, Texas, and said that there's a severe haboob on its way. And people got fired up, right? Let me read you one of the um, comments. You ready? And, and I'm going to try and say it in a little bit of an accent because my family lives in Tarzan, Texas. That's real close to Lubbock. So I feel like I can say this because this is me, okay? In Texas, you Nimrod, this is called a sandstorm. <laughs> We've had them for years. If you would like to move to the Middle East, then you can call this a haboob. While you reside here, though, you better call it a sandstorm. Sincerely, Brenda Daffern. Brenda is upset about a word, right? She's upset about a word. And, and we, again, we're not the ones that post about it, right, because we're more refined and intellectual. It's the people on our, that are our friends that post about these things. There's these things that get under our skin that seem like big issues to us, right? Um, just this week, people are getting really upset about gorillas, about vaccines, um, about political candidates, 
about flooding, right? And, and all of those things are important, but they're not like global, globally important issues, right? So Justin Bieber goes to Starbucks. He does a selfie with his macchiato. He gets 100,000 likes on Instagram, right? But 100,000 likes is really nothing when it comes to the six point in, in counting billion people in the world, right? So there's these issues that seem really important for us locally that aren't on a global scale. So what if I told you that there was something that could be posted today on Facebook that would have 4.7 billion people outraged? 4.7 billion people outraged. You guess what it is? It's not politics. It's not even religion. It's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This very morning, 4.7 billion people on this planet have outright rejected Jesus Christ. And it's not just that they're offended that we might say something about him, right? It's that they've created these belief systems that fundamentally oppose him. Okay, so 4.7 billion people, if we were to write, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Lord of all. 4.7 billion people right now, they're out. Two-thirds of the world's population does not believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Right? This is his self-disclosed word. They don't believe it. So what do they believe about Jesus? Well, there's about a billion Hindus in the world. And they're really nice. I got to live in Bali with a bunch of them, and they're super fun and really inclusive. Um, here's, here's what they think of Jesus. Jesus is a sadhu, a holy man, and a good Hindu saint. For Hindus, Christ is an acharya, which means he's an example. And his example is a light to any of us in this world who want to take up the serious practice of spiritual life. His message, though, is no different from the message preached in another time and place by Lord Krishna. So Jesus is a Hindu saint, but his message is no different than Lord Krishna's. The 1.7 billion Muslims in the world say this about Jesus, that he's to be respected, he's to be revered, and in fact, whenever his name is read from the Quran or his name is brought up in conversation, they say, peace be upon him. They believe that he was one of God's greatest messengers to mankind. They confirm that he did miracles, and the Quran even states that he was born of the Virgin Mary. But the whole crucifixion, resurrection thing, um, what happened was God couldn't let one of his messengers be killed, so he put the likeness of Jesus on another man, and another man was crucified. So what we see with almost three billion people just between these two world religions is that they get a lot of Jesus right. Right? The Quran even says that he was born of the Virgin Mary and that he did all these miracles. But they miss it. They miss it. 
If Jesus had an Instagram account and a selfie stick, which, by the way, for God to take a selfie is not narcissistic, right? Because he's actually God, and so it makes sense for him to talk about himself, right? It doesn't make sense for any of you, okay? So just stop it, all right? Like, a selfie stick, like, put a fishing line on it or something. Like, stop doing this. But anyway, so let's just imagine Jesus has an Insta account. He takes a selfie, and then he says what he says in John fourteen six: I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That is a hard truth for people to get with. Right? 4.7 billion people right now say, nope, that can't be true. There's no way, no way that can be true. And our series this summer obviously is about belief. And, and what we're after this morning as we go into this next section of the creed, which is going to be the biggest bulk of our section, it's about Jesus. We're looking for what right belief in Jesus Christ is. We're looking for orthodoxy. We're looking for what the saints have passed down through the ages, which is what our tagline is, the faith handed down. What we're not after is what fits really well with our current political and cultural landscape, okay? So I'm about to become a Baptist fundy for the rest of the sermon, okay? Which actually, I'm just being a historic Christian, but it may seem like I'm being fundamental, but I'm just doing what they told me to do, just preaching the same message, right? So the question before us this morning is the most important question you'll ever have to answer. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? This is the most important question you'll ever have to answer, and I want you to read all in between the lines here on this next statement, okay? The reason why it's the most important question is because the wrong answer has hellish consequences. There's only one right answer. Who do you say that I am? As Lucy read this morning, I'm going to read it again for us. Mark 8, 27. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee, and they went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. And as they were walking along, he asked them, Who do people say that I am? Well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others, that you're Elijah. Come back. Others say that you're one of the prophets. And then he gets real pointed with his disciples. But who do you say that I am? Peter replies, you are the Messiah. In Matthew's account of this, he replies, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this morning, Jesus asked the exact same question to us. Who do you say that Jesus is? Right, because at the time when Jesus asked this, there's a lot of buzz around town. Like Jesus is trending, people are talking about him, and there's a whole lot of opinions, right? So when he asks this question, who do people say that I am? Well, some are saying that you're John the Baptist, J the B, right? Which doesn't make that much sense, but some say you're Elijah. Um, There was some religious guys that said he was the devil. You remember that? 
There was only one right answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So we're in the Jesus section of the Apostles' Creed. Um, Matt got us through two words. I got us through another nine last week. We're going to do ten today. Okay, so we're, we're stepping it up. The Apostles' Creed states it like this. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. So what does that mean? Who is Jesus? And we're going to just kind of go word by word, phrase by phrase here. Jesus is the second member of the Trinity. He's the eternal word and son of God. The name Jesus is taken from the Hebrew Yeshua or Joshua, which means God saves. Matthew one twenty one says that he has come to save us from the power of sin and death. So there's this salvific peace to his name. Um, Christ is the next word. It's not his last name. It's his office. And what it means is that he has the power, the authority as the anointed one to actually accomplish the salvation that Jesus speaks about, the name Jesus speaks about, right? Then there's this curious phrase, God's only son. And this is where, if we start thinking about the Trinity too much, your head will explode, Um, right? Because triune God three persons, it it starts to get difficult to understand and comprehend. The good news is you don't have to, just believe it, right? But there's God the Father that we spoke of, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. Co-equal, co-eternal, whatever that means, right? It's hard to comprehend, but we can't have sonship without God the Son, right? We talked about the Father heart of God last week. Well, Jesus displays it. Jesus displays it in his sonship. John 1.14 says this about him. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we have the one who saves that has the power to do it, who's the only son of God, who also happens to be our Lord. So what does the lordship of Christ mean? It means that he's the king. It means that his name is above all other names. It means that there's nothing he doesn't rule and reign over. It means that we acknowledge his authority over the church, universal. It, it means that He rules over all creation because he created it. It means that he is the ruler of all societies and their rulers. So you can take a breath. We're going to be okay. We have a higher king. Okay? It means that every aspect of our personal, professional, social, recreational, and family lives He's the king of, right? But it also implies that there's a surrender piece. So we've kind of been trafficking a little bit in in some heady theology. So who cares? Like, I don't mean that sacrilegiously, but, but what does this mean? What does the doctrine, what does Christology mean here? 
What does it matter that we get this right? Remember, we've got some pretty big consequences to pay if we miss it. So what does right belief in Jesus look like for us? Well, it's twofold. The first is that right belief in Jesus implies salvation. Okay? We acknowledge John 14, 6. Remember the selfie? We like it. We, we believe it. We agree that he is the only way, the only truth, the only life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. And so what that means is that we have to reject the cultural narratives of our day that go against it. Well, but isn't God, like, isn't, like, Muhammad and Yahweh and Buddha, aren't they all the same? Aren't we just calling them different names? No. No, we reject that. There's only one road. There's only one way. There's not multiple ways to get to heaven. So we reject that. We also reject the idea that we can earn God's favor. Ugh. Now we're starting to hit home. Wait, but I, I grew up in church. I'm, I'm a really good person. No, we reject that because Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Okay? We take him up on his offer in Romans 10, 9, and what we do is we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, and then what? And then we will be saved. So right belief in Jesus starts with salvation. You believe what he said in here, okay? We believe this. But there's this other piece that if Jesus is who he really says that he is, then we go from the salvation piece to surrender. So if Jesus is Lord of all, then shouldn't he be Lord of our lives? That means that we reject this rival kingdom that society tells us is rightfully ours. If Jesus is Lord, then your life actually isn't your life, it's his. See, many want Jesus as their savior, but not their Lord. And I'm, I'm right there. Like, this sermon stings. Many want Jesus as their savior, but not their Lord. Right belief shows itself in right action. So when your belief in Jesus is right, what you should see is surrender. Now, I'm not talking about perfection, because if, that, if that's what he's looking for, then we're all, let's, let's go back home, because I could use the sleep, right? Like, we, he's not looking for, for, for perfection, but there's this idea of we should at least desire his lordship in all areas of our lives. And maybe you're not there, right? Maybe you just have the desire to desire. But that would be evidence of right belief, that there's a desire to obey him. If he is the Lord, then he gets our obedience, right? So what does this look like in real life? Um, Young people, when everything in society says that it's okay for you to go for it, 
go all the way with your boyfriend or girlfriend? You reject it. Why? Because you're surrendered to the lordship of Christ. It also happens to be really good for your future marriage if you obey him in that area. Right? But you reject the cultural narrative and you say, nope, nope, I'm following Jesus on this one. Um, Husbands, now this never happens in my house, but husbands, when you kind of look at your wife and you're like, I don't feel like it's fair the way you're treating me, and you have a grievance against your wife, what does surrender look like? Well, Ephesians 5. Jesus, what am I supposed to do here with my wife? Oh, I'm supposed to love her and serve her as you love and serve your church. That's surrender, right? What, what that says is there, there's a different king in place in my life because if I'm the king of my household, then I get to do what I want. But I have another king at 602 Larkwood. His name is Jesus. And he tells me that I'm supposed to love and serve my wife as he loves and serves his church. So I reject what they're telling me on TV. If you're in the business world, surrender to Christ looks like having integrity. And when everybody else in your industry is cutting corners, you don't. Why? Because you have a different king. Your king is not money. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Christians, listen to this one. Day off. Uh Uh-oh. What about the Sabbath? Do we we rest? Do, Do we take a break from our work and obey the Lord? No, we don't. Because there's another project. There's more money to be made. There's, I've got to get enough in savings. I've, 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 I've got to, I've got to, I've got to. Right? We've got to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. So again, why does this matter? It matters because the answer to your question of who do we say that Jesus is has eternal consequences. And it also matters because so many of our friends and family members, our coworkers and neighbors, they're like an amalgamation of um, the Hindus and the Muslims. They get really, really close to right belief in Jesus, right? Um, I lived this out in the last 36 hours. I got to do a wedding at the Arboretum last night. And um, the groom... He is from California, and his parents have lived in Berkeley for like 20, 30 years, okay? So um, I don't know this, but I show up at Southerly's for the rehearsal dinner, and the first person I meet, um, she's holding a glass of wine, and, and I ask her, you know, who she is, where is she from? And she goes, I'm from California. And I go, oh, yeah, where do you live? Um, just like an hour outside of the Bay Area. I was like, cool, where? Sonoma. County, 
cool. What do you do? She's like, I make this. So she's, she, her and her husband own the winery that all the wine was from, right? And so, and I love Californians. I think I'm supposed to be from there as a surfer. I don't know why Jesus keeps me in Texas, although I like Californians, but I love Texans. So I find myself, I realize that there's 10 couples that are from Berkeley, California, all the parents' friends. Okay, so the next dude I talk to has got a European accent. What do you do? Um, I'm a teacher. I was like, oh, yeah, where? Berkeley. Cool, what do you teach? Physics. Like, like, you're a physics professor at Berkeley? Cool, we should talk. You know, I've got a lot of theories on that. Like, dude is way outside of my league, okay? Um, anyway, so, so I'm having these conversations at the rehearsal dinner, and I, I start talking to this gentleman, and um, people were, like, real curious as to why I was a pastor, because I'm young, and they're like, how did this happen to you, right? <laughs> Because they all met in the Peace Corps and ended up in Berkeley in the 70s, so you know who they are, okay? Um, And they're like, what's the deal? Like, what do you mean you got called? What is that? Anyway, so they're very curious, right? And so I I start having this conversation with this guy. And it turns in quickly to this question, well, who do you say Jesus is? What's your worldview? We have a really fun conversation, but I've got to get back. Um... And, uh, and so I get real excited about Saturday because I'm like, man, God just like dropped me in the middle of some Berkeley, California, liberal hippies that are like ruling California. <laughs> this is awesome. Like this is who I am. I love this. So um, wedding goes great. I preach on um, Jesus turning the water into wine and that seemed to sit well with the Northern Californians. And what was interesting is I started to get a lot of, like, accolades after, right? Like, people were like, I've never heard a sermon where Jesus talks about wine and, you know, like, he's at a party and you're young, still understand why you're a pastor, but that was awesome, you know? And within the next hour, the Holy Spirit starts to move people's hearts, and I end up in about, like, seven or eight different gospel conversations throughout the night. And every single one of them was the same. Right? The VP of Pfizer, um, she and I had about a 30-minute conversation that ended with, well, basically what it comes down to is you don't believe that the Bible is true, even though you grew up in church. Right? The Jewish girl that came up to me with her Catholic boyfriend, which is interesting, Um, she doesn't even believe that the Torah can be um, interpreted one way, right? Because there's many different interpretations. Her Catholic boyfriend, uh, which, by the way, he, I mean, he pretty much hates God by his self-confession, but he was throwing every single thing he could at the authority of Scripture, at the deity of Christ, Every time it was, yeah, but what about this? What about how many documents we have? Do you believe that uh, Homer wrote the Iliad? Great, you do. Well, 25% of the manuscripts we have don't even agree 
But we've got 6,000 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament, and they agree 99.9% of the time. He's like, yeah, but that's conjecture. I'm like, it's actually uh, it's science. Like, right? But he was doing everything he could to not agree with Jesus. Every single thing he could to not agree with Jesus. And I want to just step aside for a second. I, I, I want to reiterate what Matt um, told us in the first week. It's important for us to know that we're not preaching the creed this summer. We're preaching this. Right? Because every conversation I had last night, this was not authoritative. The moment this is not authoritative, we've got nothing to stand on. Right? And so I'm just floored by all these um, Christians that don't believe that this is authoritative. And they want to just kind of handpick things. I want to close with a quote from C.S. Lewis that I think is helpful for us. C.S. Lewis, real smart dude. He could have hung with the physics guy last night. I couldn't. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a good moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who said that he was a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and worship him. Let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, nor did he intend to. So Jesus is either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's the Lord of all creation. And what I want us to remember is that we have to take him at his word. Because if not, let's just sleep in and go to Starbucks on Sundays. Right? We have to take Jesus at his own word. We have to take Jesus at his own word. Let's pray. Jesus, we, um, we just confess that we believe in you. We confess that we want to believe rightly about you. We confess that the faith that's been handed down through your holy scriptures, through the church, is good and right and perfect. Lord, and we also confess our deep, deep need of you. Lord, there are places in our life where we're not surrendered to your lordship. So we cry out to you, Lord, we surrender. Help us to actually do it. Lord, we believe rightly. Help us to overcome our unbelief. Jesus, as we come to the table, 
We believe you. We believe you.